sometimes people want to jump to the, oh, I need to grow from it and learn from it and do, I'm never doing that again. You know, it's like, well, <laughs> you know, sit down for a minute and just cry, <laughs> right? It's okay to cry. It's okay to feel sad about all of the things that felt good in the moment, even though at the end you realize they weren't for your good. You're listening to Make Some Noise Podcast, episode number 448 with guest, Dr. Akuya Boatin. Welcome to Make Some Noise Podcast, your guide for strategies, tools, and insight to empower yourself. I'm your host, Andrea Owen, global speaker, entrepreneur, life coach since 2007, and author of three books that have been translated into 18 languages and are available in 22 countries. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a lesson that will help you maximize unshakable confidence, master resilience, and make some noise in your life. You ready? Let's go. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you're here. I'm recording this uh, while my puppy is taking a nap. I did not realize, I mean, I think I kind of realized, but it's sort of like parenting. Like People can tell you about it, but you don't really understand until you're in it. I didn't realize that this is going to be so much like having a toddler. And this isn't to, you know... (laughs) be dismissive of how hard it is to have small children, but there are a lot of similarities. One of them being that I cannot take my eyes off her. And um, yeah, she's napping. And I feel like when when I had the, my, when I first started my business, this was actually a couple of years before I started the podcast, I had two babies and it was the same. I worked when they were napping and after they went to bed. And let me tell you, it wasn't easy, but I made it. And I'm we're so happy to have her. I posted on Instagram about her. Her name is Astrid. She's a German shepherd puppy. And also uh, you can catch her in my highlights. She is an absolute joy. And speaking of joys, I am super pumped because we have moved into the relationships theme of the podcast. And I'm already just enamored with our guests. I, I I somehow managed to find the smartest people. I mean, not to brag, but <laughs> I think they're amazing. These people that I get to interview. Before we jump in and I tell you about today's guest, if you want to get on the phone with me because you're on the fence about the Daring Way retreat that is coming up in September in Asheville here in North Carolina, uh, you can do that. If you're like, I don't know, I need to do a gut check. It's, you know, I know it's like moving mountains when you're trying to like logistically come out. And if you're not really sure about the work, and if you want to talk to me about kind of what you're struggling with to see if it will help you. Again, just to do that gut check, gut check, excuse me, head on over to andreaowen.com slash retreat. And if you scroll down to the bottom in the FAQs, you'll see there about getting on the phone with me and there's a link in there so you can book your quick call and we'll chat about it. I'm excited to see if it is right for you. All right, let's jump into today's show. And let me tell you a little bit about our guest. Dr. Akwea Boatin is a sought-after mental health and relationship expert with over 14 years experience in clinical practice and education. She specializes in an integrative approach to treating anxiety, trauma, relationship issues, and other emotional concerns. She is the founder and CEO of Boatin Psychotherapy and Consultation, where she partners with organizations in the integration of emotionally aware practices and initiatives. In the media, 
media, Dr. Akua has contributed to media outlets such as CNN, The Washington Post, HuffPost, Black Enterprise, Refinery29, Philadelphia Inquirer, NBC News, Slate Magazine, Harper's Bazaar, and others. Her genuine, empathetic voice adds to the growing culture of mental health awareness. So without further ado, here is Dr. Boaton. Dr. Boaton, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk. I, I was mentioning before we got started that I have too many questions, which I feel like is, <laughs> is a good thing for an interview. So I am going to, to jump right in. And we're doing themes this year on my show, and we are in the relationships theme. Mm-hmm. And we, in the past, have had a lot of experts on talking about difficult conversations. And, and from a relationship perspective, what would be your advice when it comes to having open and hard conversations with a partner? Mm. Well, this is this is an important part of any relationship, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because typically, you know, as, as a couples therapist, I hear and see people that come to me because of the absence of the ability to do this, right? Safety is required for active and healthy communication. If a person doesn't feel safe, there's actually a part of their brain that does not allow uh, for them to have this space of vulnerability that's required mm-hmm. for authentic communication. And so establishing safety is the first order of business. How do I uh, make the person that I'm talking to feel safe? Not in the way that I feel safe, but in the way that they feel safe. And so having uh, conversations about the conversation <laughs> typically is, is what what helps you to feel safe? When you say safe, do you mean all aspects of it, like physically safe, emotionally safe? Am I leaving anything out? Yeah, psychologically safe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, all of those things are really important, right? Mind, body, spirit. How um, do I make you feel um, open and safe enough to speak, right? So physically, are there things, are there proxemics that feel good? Does it help if we are sitting face-to-face Indian style? Does it help if you know we're having a conversation in the middle of the day or the nighttime? Or does it help you to feel safe if we talk about, if I tell you ahead of time? Or no, don't tell me too far ahead of time because that gives me anxiety, right? <laughs> so let's have a conversation about how to have a safe conversation to set the foundation for that to uh, to work well. And then secondly, talking to the person about your needs typically disarms a person, right? Talking to them about, this is what I'm learning about myself and the things that I need. Mm-hmm. I need to feel supported. And the way that I best feel supported is blank, 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 right? Also talking to them about what your concerns or fears are, are really, is really important. I'm really fearing that without that level of support, our connection is going to fizzle. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't feel as connected to you. I don't feel like you're my person and that's scary to me. And so what I'd like to see happen is write some action items. I would love to feel supported in these three ways. And so specifically telling your partner what it is that you need, disclosing your emotion behind and underneath what you need so that they can see the significance of it. And then the action items. This is specifically in detail Mm -hmm. what I need to see happen. 
And so whatever conversation you need to have that's difficult, laying that that foundation and then structural vehicle is, is typically helpful. Okay. You just gave like a masterclass in three minutes. So I want everyone, if you have not gotten out your pen and paper <laughs> to take notes, back up and, and take those notes. One a couple of things I want to sort of underscore that you said that it sounds like when you talk about, you know, say it's, say it's you and I are having a hard conversation. If I came to you and talked to you about my experience, right. then it takes, it takes the, the pressure. I don't know. There's probably a better word off of you. And what, what I'm thinking of is I think in many conversations, we, when we come to somebody with a problem, we tend to tell them how they're wrong, how yeah. we make up that they're wrong. And Correct. the other person, it largely probably wants to shut down or does shut down. It's like, no one wants to listen when mm-hmm. they're being told all the ways that they're wrong or that they're, you know, being a bad partner in, the, in their partner's eyes, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing was, I love that you said about the details, because I, I think so many mm-hmm. times we just make up that, okay, we need to ask our partner to be more romantic. We need to ask them to show up for us emotionally without telling them exactly what that looks like for us. Cause they might have a completely different version of what that is exactly, and can get it quote unquote wrong. So all of that. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. It's so powerful. And, and recognizing that that awareness of the human that you're seeking to connect with is more important than the information that you want to give them. Say that part again. That's so important. Yes. Your awareness of who is this person that I'm trying to convey this information to? Your awareness of that needs to be the focus, not exactly what it is that you're trying to relate to them. Mm-hmm. And so if this person is a better receiver of concise and direct communication, you need to be able to package your information that way. If this person is largely connected to an emotive experience, right? And so they need to understand the emotionality around the need. And so you need to package what you're saying in that way. So your awareness of who this person is, how they best digest information is typically what I am working with people on that they overlook, right? It's just really, really pivotal. So what you just said made me think of, I think it was actually a couple of years ago, my husband was really transparent with me. And he said to me, you know, to be honest, when we have big conversations, like like a heart to heart, if you will, I only take in about a third of what you're telling me. Correct. And at first I was a little hurt, you know, because I took it personally, yeah. like, oh, yeah. you just don't want to right. listen. You just don't right. let me. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I know him well enough where I was so grateful that he told me that. And yeah. because I can tell a lot of times by his body language, by, you know, like how, what the expressions on his face or lack of expressions on his face. So that allowed me to ask him, okay, how can I be a better communicator for you? That, like you said, makes you feel safer, makes you hear me. And, you know, I don't want him to go to that place of elevated heart rate or feeling like he's wrong or wanting to leave the room, et cetera. Exactly. These things are so important because oftentimes we are trying to get information through and we're working with the physiology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're working yeah. with physiology, right? If the amygdala just fires, right? And and this person is defended, 
based on the fact that you used you are wrong or you should do this or why don't you, right? That terminology just fires the system within the body that um, automatically defends itself. Muscle fibers get tighter, breath gets shallow, body language gets defended, right? And so from that moment on, they're actually not taking in the information, right? Right. And so you understanding their, their physiology, not, not to uh, a T, but some general knowledge of that is really important. And especially like with your partner, if your partner is typically withdrawing, right? That means that they Mm -hmm. take in information and digest it underneath the surface. That type of physiology is typically flooded easily, right? Too much information just stalls the system out. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what's happening. It took us a long time to learn that about each other, (laughs) how it's different for us, but therapies helped. Uh, okay. I'm going to switch gears slightly. And, and this question came from, I was watching one of your, uh, one of your Instagram videos and you were, you were talking about on again, off again relationships. So mm. can you, I know this is like a big giant question. So if you could kind of distill it down to bite size, why in your experience and your professional opinion, why do people stay in on again and off again relationships? Mm. Oftentimes that relationship represents something for the person, Mm -hmm. right? It represents a time period in life that was familiar and safe, um, comfortable or nostalgic. It could be that this person is connected to a part of yourself that you don't typically tap into that they can unlock in you. Um, It can be a a safety space, meaning not necessarily with the person, but it is, it feels safe to have a person, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That the void feels activating and they feel the void. As long as I have this person, I won't be alone. Or, you know, I always have so-and-so. It can be feeling valued or feeling wanted that that person provides you. So it's, it's typically representation that this person is holding a place value in your life that sometimes you might not be aware of, Mm -hmm. but you feel that you need desperately internally. And it it sounds like if you can identify what that is, it might be a giant step of self-awareness to hopefully either heal the relationship, which I'm assuming could happen or walk away from the relationship. Yes. Yes. That is important because there are other sources that you can receive that level of support that you need or representation. Yeah. Right. So if it is this person, mm-hmm. this person brings me alive or this person mm-hmm. always understands me and to be known in this way feels rare and, and important. Um, and it just, it tells you the desire that you have. It gives you insight and education around what you need so that you can pursue it in other sources. If that relationship is not healthy or helpful to you. That struck me to hear you talk about that on your Instagram. And, and just now I was, I've been writing a memoir finally, and 
a, mm-hmm. a lot of the memoir is is based around the story of a former relationship. I was married previously. We didn't have any children together, so it was a it was a clean break in that way. But we were together for thirteen years, from the ages of seventeen to thirty one. Mm-hmm. And as I'm as I you know I've thought about it a lot. I'm fifteen years out of that relationship, so I've had a lot of time that I needed to gain some insight and look back. And one of the things you know, as I'm writing out the story. And I have a writing coach. Her name's Candace Davis, by the way. Everyone should hire her if you need a writing coach. She said, in reading the story, she said, I need you to put more in there of why you stayed for so long. And it was so dysfunctional and so toxic, at times abusive. And it was on again, off again, a handful of times. One of the things is exactly what you said. And I did not know this until probably, I don't know, 13 or 14 years out. I was talking to a dear friend of mine. And, and I was telling her about how I get triggered when I watch movies or TV shows that are depicting certain scenes that are reminiscent of this relationship that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, I could not bear to watch, I read the books, but couldn't watch the movies of um, 50 Shades of Grey. Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't the sex. Sex was just a means to an end in my relationship, but it was more so like that obsession, that intensity. And I was asking mm-hmm. my friend, and I'm like, I don't know why I still, after all these years, get so physiologically just triggered when I watch either a super intense arguments, especially super intense arguments on TV or movies. And she said, about knocked me over. She said, oh, honey, that sounds like that made you feel alive. Yeah. And I was like, oh, Oh my God. Yes. And it wasn't necessarily him. It was Mm -hmm. what exactly what you said, what he represented and what he did, what his behavior and our behavior together created in my life that I was so starving for that I Mm -hmm. did not subconsciously did not believe I could create that on my own. Right. Right. That's one of the main reasons I stayed. There were a lot of other reasons, but that was a big one. Mm -hmm. Such a good awareness of that too for you. Thank you. And I hope that people listening to this, whether you're in one of those right now, or you have one in the past, because I I think that's fairly common when people get to a certain age, when you reach midlife, you might've had one of those relationships that you give yourself some grace. Yes. Yes. That right there is so important. Self-compassion is Mm. the vehicle, right? Towards safety and, and actualization. And so being able to give yourself uh, self-compassion and or grace is, is pivotal. Yeah. There's one thing that you said that really, really struck me and really is typically what people are facing. We are often in relationships facing unfinished developmental tasks, right? That's a psychological term that really just describes something that I wasn't able to do at one stage of my life I'm trying to do right now, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) This relationship um, gives me the context or gives me the incubator to be able to do that. So if it was early in life, I was never able to fight. I was never able to like say a thing. I was never able to have the environment where I could speak my mind, right? I'm in a relationship that calls that out in me or that seeks to finish that task for me. Or it could be, I never have seen in my development, this space where people stay, right? People typically leave and I want to be the one that stays. I want to be the one that works it out. I want to be the one that changes the dynamic. And so sometimes we are 
doing things to overcome in a way that is extremely pivotal and important to us historically, not presently. Well, I'm over here taking notes, (laughs) (laughs) which doesn't happen all that often with my guests. This is a very immense uh, compliment to you. Um, but you just named, uh, two more things. I think that for me resonate so much the, the, the belief that people typically leave me and I won't, you know, I won't, I won't have that happen again. Therefore I'm going to stay in this relationship. I'm going to stick it out uh, and I'm going to fix it. That was mine. Cause I was, I was largely codependent in that relationship. And the, I never got, I, I would word it as I never got the voice to fight. Yes. Yeah. In my in my family of origin, and mm-hmm. in this relationship, I get that. Right, right. Yes, we are we are fragile beings and um, have the best intentions. Wow. Okay. I'm I'm gonna need a second to recover from that. Thank <laughs> you. I'm interrupting this conversation to bring you a few words from some of our sponsors. If you really, really know me, you know I love a beautiful serving bowl and serving dish. My mom had this big serving dish since I was a kid, and it has a crack in it that's been repaired. And a few years ago, when I was at her house for Thanksgiving, I asked her if I could have it, and she gave it to me. I don't know. Dishes, especially serving dishes, create so much meaning, and I can't wait to hand down to my kids special dinnerware that we use now. Because your table is where you nourish yourself, your friendships, and your family, and that's why year and day believes it's worth it to set a table you love. Year and day gives you everything you need and nothing you don't to set the perfect table. I love, love, love the simplicity and beauty of year and day's designs. This isn't your grandma's china. It's a beautifully curated assortment of high quality dishes, flatware, and glass designed to enhance your modern life at home. And if you're not sure what you want, you can answer a few questions about how you live, how you entertain, and year and day will customize a complete set for you in just a few clicks. And this is very important. Everything is dishwasher safe. I think they're gorgeous. Please go check them out and support the show. Year and day is giving makes some noise listeners a special offer. Visit yearandday.com slash noise and use code noise to get $25 off your first order of $150 or more and receive free shipping on orders of $150 or more. That is yearandday.com slash noise and use code noise. All of their things are beautiful. Go check them out. I especially love all of their bowls. So again, yearandday.com slash noise and use code noise. For those of you that read my last book, you know that I dedicated an entire chapter to pleasure and how making time for it is so important. That's why I want to invite you to escape into a world where pleasure is your only priority, because on Dipsy, you can find stories that match your mood. So Dipsy is an app. I have it on my phone and my iPad. It's full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. You can find stories about that intriguing coworker that has a British accent. I personally like the one with the Irish accent. You can filter and find it. Or hooking up with your yoga instructor. They bring scenarios to life with immersive characters no matter what you're into or what turns you on. 
It's your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, or heat things up with your partner. So for listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash noise. It's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash noise, dipsystories.com slash noise. People who maybe don't have an acute breakup in their life and who have had one in the past where they still, you know, it stings maybe a little bit, or maybe it doesn't sting and it might be unconscious under the surface, but what is the best way to navigate healing from a breakup? And if you can expand on that to be, you know, like even if it's in the in the near past that happened, or even if it was years before. The first thing is to grieve, <laughs> mourn. Mm-hmm sit in it, um, give yourself time, your body, your, your soul to calibrate to the reality of what's happening. And that's really what grief is. Your mind is trying to catch up to the natural experience that you're having. Um, and that takes time, right? Sometimes people want to jump to the, oh, I need to grow from it and learn from it and do, I'm never doing that again, you know. Like, well, <laughs> you know, sit down for a minute and just cry, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. It's okay to cry. It's okay to feel sad about all of the things that felt good in the moment, even though at the end you realize they weren't for your good. And giving yourself the compassion to grieve the connection that you did have, even though there were parts of it that were not great. That's a, that's a really hard thing for people to do sometimes. So that takes time. That's the first thing. I think um, there's wisdom on the other side of grief and mourning. Mm -hmm. Give yourself the minute to do it, the time to do it. There is a wisdom that comes in the grief, a a realization and awareness, uh, a education about what is this person in my life to teach me about me? What did I learn about me? What did I learn about what I need, what I don't need, what I um, value, what I don't value, what I thought I valued and now I don't, (laughs) right? How do I clarify the wisdom and education that this moment is trying to bring to the surface for me? And then moving with that education and wisdom towards healing, what does that look like? That looks like tangible healing. That looks like embodiment. That feels like finding techniques that really help you self-soothe. If it is moments of crying and the moments of journaling, if it's meditation to really keep the rumination and the cycling of your mind still, if it's yoga and and movement in order for you to reconnect with your body because you have disconnected, whatever that wisdom is telling you, it will tell you the truth about your healing and what's needed. Mm -hmm. Mine was primal screaming. Yeah. Yes. That's a good one too. It was that's part of it. Not all the time. That would have definitely um, hurt my throat, but it was. A lot <laughs> yes. Yes. Getting, getting that energy out of your body. Right. Mm-hmm. right? Um, and manifesting that in the natural and not just letting it fester in the internal. So all of those things are really important. It's really specific to your situation. And that's why grief and mourning is so important. It's not for the, you know, sheer, sadness of it. It is for the wisdom that comes out of it. Um, 
after you've clarified some of that stuff, it's really important that you come together with yourself to write down what is my path forward? Hmm. What is my path forward plan? As a result of what I'm learning, therefore, now this is what I seek to do. This is what I seek to partner with. This is what I seek to understand in the relationship. These are things that I need to watch out for in me, right? These are sources that I need to fill the space with. Who's your tribe? The people that are around you, they're going to help in that healing process. Um, Yeah. So all of those things are really valuable. I, I love that it's sort of like a, a plethora of, of all the things. And, and I'm assuming also it's not linear and it's a bit of a long game <laughs> for, for many people. Yeah. Correct. I love, I love choices too. And I love a good plan. So thank you for, for adding that in there. I, I, I want to talk to you and have you tell us about uh, codependency is, is something that we've talked about here on the show. Um, I, I'm, I don't think you need to go into like too much what it is. I'm, I'm confident that my listeners are, are clear on what it is, but can you, can you talk to us about, about overcoming and healing from it? Like, what does that look like? Where does someone start? And is it even possible? Or is it something that you just learn to live with on a lesser level? What is your, what is your opinion on that? There, there's a way uh, mm-hmm. to uh, change that dynamic, but it, it goes through your awareness, right? And so remember, codependency really describes the behaviors and the dynamic of the relationship, not necessarily the relationship, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So if we are healing, it's really at the center of the dynamic. What position are you playing in the dynamic? Are you the giver? Are you the one that sacrifices your own needs? Are you in your kind of well-being and things like that to to validate your self-worth that way? Um, If I help, if I help others, um, that is my identity, right? And so for you, if you're a part of that side of the dynamic, how do you begin to um, give to yourself the same things that you are pouring into others, is what you begin to pour into yourself, right? That you refuse mm-hmm. to now sacrifice your own needs for others. You put yourself at the top of the list. Yes, it's going to feel selfish at first, right? Because you've learned otherwise, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But it's not self. It's, it's really self-full. It is healing. It is helpful. Um, understanding that your identity is not external. It's internal, right? Ooh, say more about and- that. Yeah. And so oftentimes in a codependent dynamic, your identity and your worth comes in what you do for others, Uh how you minimize in order to increase the other. Right. And so your identity is not in what you do for others. Your identity is really connected to who you are. Internally, who you are in spite of others, who you are. Um, trying to be in the world. Um, And so there needs to be a process of you learning that. Oftentimes when you take away the source of what my self-worth is, I don't know who I am if I'm not connected to helping people. And so there's a discovery process and exploration. What do I like? What kind of ice cream do I like? I Mm -hmm. I typically just go with what everybody likes, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Do I like do I like chocolate or was that just my ex-partner's favorite? Uh-huh, <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Like, you know, so really learning about the self and exploring things that you might 
that you might feel connected to in order to uh, have this identity formation. And so the other side of that would be if you are the manipulative one, if you are the one that's kind of kind of using the power dynamic for your for your force, why have you learned to do that? What is it that taught you that manipulation, control, and power is the only way for you to connect? Go back to that space, understand it, process it, grieve it, heal it, and move forward in a different way, right? And so it's the dynamic. It's the the epicenter of how I learned to be this. How did I learn that this is what connection looks like in order to explore a new form of that? That's some big work right there. (laughs) Relate to, to some of those identities that you described. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you mentioned something interesting towards the end there about, about connection. And, and I wanted to ask you about intimacy. And I, I feel like the word intimacy um, many times gets collapsed with, you know, sex and physical intimacy, but can you talk to us about the, the different ways we can create intimacy between ourselves and our partners? Yes, there are different forms of intimacy, right? There, you know, intimacy is really just access, right? Mm. Giving one access and connecting on a deeper level, right? And so you can do that physically, you can do that emotionally, you can do that intellectually, <laughs> right? You uh-huh. can do that experientially, spiritually, creatively. Like there's so many ways for you to give access and connect um, in a deeper way. And so physically, obviously, we talk about intimacy being related to sex, but intimacy physically is really just about experiencing something physically with a person that is a form of communication. So it could be a person walks by you and puts their hand on your shoulder and they're communicating something to you at a deeper level, Mm -hmm. right? It could be the way that you sit next to a person is physical intimacy, right? Um, Emotional intimacy is really exposing the emotion, Um, having times where you sit down and really just give one, give one access to your process that's undone and not complete, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure how I feel about this. I'm going to just now process externally. I'm going to say the thing before I know it. um, And I'm going to give you access to sit behind, behind the scenes as I do that right? So you can know me, so you can understand my process. Well, based on that, I'm intimate with all of my listeners because (laughs) (laughs) you're welcome, everybody. Okay. (laughs) Please continue. (laughs) Right, right, right. So these things are really important, right? Because you're able to really be heard and Mm -hmm. seen in all of your humanness. (laughs) And um, there's power in being able to do that. So having times where you do that and you disclose what you feel, your emotion as you are processing it um, intellectually, right? There are things that really um, stimulate our minds that give us thrill or challenge or pause, right? Mm -hmm. And talking to your partner about your views, talking to your partner about what you think on on matters that might be happening in the news or um, things that are happening with the children or Mm -hmm. um, how you you are managing the type of parenting that you're doing and really being heard for your opinions and thoughts, right? It could be reading books together and really kind of going through information 
that's challenging your mind and talking about those things is really a way of building intellectual intimacy. Um, experiences are always something that bonds us. If you think about it, most of your, if you have, have girlfriends, most of the, the moments that bonded you, you can go back to a moment, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's mm-hmm. a, yes, we were in school and then we went through that program together. Yeah. And, oh my goodness, and we're in that gym class and it's crazy. So having experiences where you have to overcome and work through yeah. with your partner builds intimacy. And you made me think of even at dinner parties or even, even I'm thinking of a child's birthday party. When you get together with other parents of Mm -hmm. small children, what I have noticed happens more often than not is that people will share stories of their kids kind of around the same topic or something. And That is, I think that's an example of like what you just said. It's creating intimacy through relatable connections and stories. And I never thought of it that way. I just thought like, oh, here we all go again, like telling stories about our kids and, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, but I I love all those different examples of of intimacy. And it's largely things that we don't think about, but you're absolutely right. Like these everyday experiences and there's ways of, of doing it that go so far beyond just the bedroom. Yes. Yes. It's doing life together, right? Doing life together. Mm -hmm. Exploring the world together. I love that. Absolutely love that. Well, I want, I want to ask you one more question before I, um, before I close this up and we, you talk about reparenting in your work. And so for those new to the term, can you explain sort of what it looks like and where someone would get started with that? Mm. Yes. So reparenting is really giving yourself what you needed in the time where you recall the most challenge or pain in in, um, growing up. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And so, you know, giving to yourself, whether that be uh, the sacrifice of time, right. Um, Prioritization, prioritizing yourself, putting yourself in scenarios where you're not harmed, right. Where, in, in childhood, you may have been in in, ex, in experiences where a parent did not remove you from a harmful place, mm-hmm. right? And so a reparenting process for you in adulthood would be, I no longer will place myself in scenarios or with people that harm me. As the new surrogate parental figure for this being, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I now will um, do the things and give to myself what I really did not receive. We often are replaying what happened to us often, right? For instance, people that overwork, right? That and don't really listen to their emotion. It could be in childhood, what you felt really didn't matter in light of the things that needed to happen with the family, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so- Reparenting could look like, no, when something is wrong with me, we stop. We listen. Yeah. We prioritize. We heal. Space is given to talk about it. Correct. We comfort. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And so all of those things, even down to to sensation and and self-soothing, right? That if you, you know, sometimes 
we didn't receive that physical comfort of like someone rubbing your back or hugging you when you're in pain or things like that. And you now do those things. You just become a surrogate parental figure and you give yourself the love, care, and consideration that you needed. Ooh, I am having another moment. This this is a record, Dr. Boatin. <laughs> Two big moments in one in one episode. I I realized that I well, Dr. Shamala was on my podcast a few a few weeks ago, and and we were talking similarly about when we re, when we have children ourselves, and mm-hmm. then when we realize that we are giving our children what we didn't have, can bring yeah. up our stuff. And so when Correct. you were saying that, I I was thinking it, it sort of dawned on me. It's, it's sort of like a well, of course moment, but I, I hadn't really put it together until just now. So in my life, my kind of seismic shift happened with my parents when I became a teenager and things really started to change in our, in our dynamic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was no outward physical abuse or anything like that, but it was more of like a, I was, I was loved and parented and lots of attention. And then suddenly we became, when I became like 13, 14, it's like, okay, have fun with your social life. You're on your own. And I was given a tremendous amount of freedom, too much freedom, no boundaries. And I needed my parents a lot of time. So now my son is 14 and my daughter is 12. Mm-hmm. And I'm parenting them differently and trying not to be codependent because <laughs> that pendulum can swing too far the other way. But I have noticed that as things come up in my parenting journey with the two of them that are different from how I was parented, is it stings. It stings a little. And I, I have to self-manage enough to remove my stuff, my inner teen stuff mm-hmm. uh, from my adult mother person identity. I don't know if I explained that very well, but it's been um, it mostly okay, but I know it will continue to be a little tricky at times. Right. No, that that's a really powerful and challenging thing to do. I like to believe <laughs> that the body desires for you to heal. And so what comes up to the surface is, is demanding a space to be healed. So Mm -hmm. even in your adulthood, if that teen version of your experience is bugging you, (laughs) she's really mad. Like, to be honest, let's all just say what it is. She's fucking pissed. (laughs) Yes. And she said, listen to me now, right? For years and years and years. And you have the opportunity to listen. Mm Mm-hmm. And to whatever, sometimes we feel like it's reductive and repress, uh, regressive and, and in some way it's fine. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm jealous or I'm upset or mm-hmm. I didn't get that. Or yeah. that's, I mean, they're just, they're spoiled or like, uh, how, how do they think? You don't they know do? how good you have it. Yeah. <laughs> you don't, right. Right. <laughs> you don't know how good you have it. So mm-hmm. just all of the things, give her the space to say all the things and validate her. You're right. You're right. It's not fair. It's not okay. It never was. I hear you. I see you. I understand. What can I do now that honors the woman that you've become, that honors the person that you are, so that you feel heard, seen, valued in this time of your life? so that you don't have to demand it any longer. I hope everyone enjoyed this therapy session from Dr. Button. 
your $500 check is in the mail. <laughs> just thank you so much. And I'm, I am very well aware that there are people listening who, you know, whether they can, can relate to my circumstances or not, mm-hmm. or are deeply touched by, by your words. And thank you so much for being here. I, I am so incredibly grateful for your time and your wisdom. My pleasure. My pleasure. It's a great conversation. Where would you like people to go to learn more about you? Is it your website or social media or all of those places? Instagram um, is probably heavily populated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at this point. Mm-hmm. So a on Instagram. And then my website is a Awesome. We will link up to that in the show notes and everyone, if you are listening you know, within a day or two that this episode comes out, check out my stories and we'll link directly over to, uh, to your Instagram account. And thank you again so much for being here. Thank you listeners for being here. Your time is so important and I'm so grateful that you choose it uh, to spend some time here. And remember it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye for now, everybody. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening to the show. And just a quick reminder that if your company needs a speaker or a trainer, I might be the right person for you. I speak and do keynotes on confidence and resilience for mixed audiences, as well as do trainings on The Daring Way, which is the methodology based on the research of Dr. Brene Brown. So if you think it might be a good fit, hit me up at support at andreaowen.com or head over to my speaking page, andreaowen.com slash speaking.